we have been considering for a number of months the fact that God is real and how that changes everything. Again, we come to this notion of money and possessions and we find that to be true again. That if God is real, then what he has to say about our possessions or about the things that we own and about this world changes everything. Last week, we talked about the fact that money matters. And if we just go on the sheer basic reality of how much money and wealth and possessions is mentioned in the Bible, it ought to catch our attention. And we ought to be asking ourselves, God, why have you said so much about money and possessions? What is it that we need to hear from you? What are you telling me that I need to know that maybe I don't want to know or haven't heard before? And so I want us to think carefully through these things. As I am working through these messages, there's two or three things that are framing my thinking or foundation to how I approach the uh, many scriptures that talk about wealth and possessions. Now the first is simply the ownership of God. Everything belongs to God. And we went through scripture after scripture last week that talked about that, and I might just have a few review of that uh, in a moment. But uh, it's a reality that within the framework of money and possessions, the Bible tells us again and again and again that we own nothing, that God owns everything. The second thing that I think is really important for us to understand as we think about wealth and possessions is that they are temporal, that they are framed by a very real reality in our life, which we'll talk about next week, and is what Paul talks about, it's what Job reminds us about, that we brought nothing into this world, and we will take nothing out of this world. And that really should be the frame through which we look at and understand money and possessions. And then the third reality that I think is foundational to all of us is to understand that the material goods around us are not the only thing that matters. That there is a spiritual reality as well, that this is a present world, but we have a future world that is coming. And those two intersect with one another. And there is a clear relationship between the two. And so it's helpful for us to understand that reality. So those three things, I think, are foundational. They certainly are for me as I try and process and understand many of the scriptures that talk about uh, money and wealth and possessions. As I said, there's a few scriptures that are maybe helpful for review to remind us of the ownership of God over anything, uh, everything, just to continue to embed that in our hearts and minds. David, Moses, uh, and another biblical writer have told us about these things. For instance, Moses said, Behold, to the Lord our God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth and all that is in it. No exceptions, no preclusions or exclusions, to God belong everything in heaven and on earth. David said the earth and everything in it, the world and all its inhabitants belong to the Lord. Why? Because he laid his foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. And then finally, Isaiah, in Isaiah 42, 5 says, thus says the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. What more could seal the reality that God owns everything in the fact that he even gives you and I breath as we walk on this earth? So if it is true then that God owns everything, everything that's in the heavens above, everything that's on the earth, everything that's in the sea, everything that is around, then how is it that we acquire some of God's possessions. 
How is it that we come to receive from him the ability to say, this is a truck that I have, or this is a house that I have, or these are my clothes? Well, the fundamental reality behind that is, first and foremost, that God gives it to us. And it is a, it's a way of pushing down our pride when we begin to understand this reality. For instance, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, Moses says to the people, You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. Work that through just a little bit in your own heart and mind. It is God that gives you power to get wealth. However much you have, how does he give you power? Well, he gives you intellect. He gives you opportunity. He gives you uh, a step up. He gives you ideas. He keeps you breathing. He gives you health so that you can work. So in that phrase, God gives you the power to get wealth, is everything that is entailed in your life in order for you to get wealth and possessions. In 1 Samuel 2.7, we have a clear statement made there where it says, the Lord makes rich and the Lord makes poor. Under the sovereign will and purposes of God, wherever we find ourselves on an economic scale, we are there because God has determined that reality. 1 Corinthians 4.7 says this, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you then received it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And then another one from 2 Chronicles chapter 1. God answered Solomon, Because this was in your heart, and you have not asked for possessions, wealth, honor, or life of those who hate you, and you have not even asked for a long life, but you have asked for wisdom and knowledge for yourself that you may govern my people over whom I have made you king. Wisdom and knowledge are granted to you. But note then what he says to Solomon. I will also give you riches, possessions, honor, such as none of the kings who were before you and none after you shall have the like of. See, we often think of Solomon and we think of his wisdom and we do think, oh, God gave him incredible wisdom. He was so smart. Look at all the Proverbs he wrote. And you read Ecclesiastes and you read the wonderful things he did. But how many of us actually stop and think about his wealth and think, well, God also gave him his wealth. And so the Bible again and again reminds us that both riches and honor come from the Lord. Chris read a little bit earlier from the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 5 and chapter 6. In both of those contexts, we read that when God gives somebody wealth and possessions, all our wealth and all our possessions come from the graciousness of God. And the fascinating thing about Ecclesiastes, which we'll talk about next week, is that not only does God give us our wealth and our possessions, but he gives us either the ability to enjoy them or takes away from us the ability to enjoy them. You need to work that through a little bit. And sometimes we know that even ourselves, we can have lots of things, but we never enjoy them. Why is it that we are unable to enjoy everything that God has given us? And on the other hand, why is it that we can enjoy what God has given us? So again, uh, the Bible says not only does God give us our stuff, but he gives us the ability to enjoy our stuff. 1 Timothy 
chapter 6, verse 17, uh, adds to this. It says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but listen to this, but on God, who richly provides us with everything. Why? So that we might enjoy it. So the Bible is clear, and there are many other places we can turn, that tell us that God gives us our wealth and possessions, that God gives us the ability to enjoy our wealth and possessions, and that God has given them to us so we can richly enjoy the gifts that he has given us. And I was thinking, again, this is I was wrestling through things in my head. What goes through your mind when you pray? Our Father in heaven, give us this day our daily bread. I sometimes wonder if our wealth and possessions exclude us from praying that. We say, well, we don't even think about it, even subconsciously. We think, well, I don't need to pray that because I have wealth and possessions. I have more than my daily bread. I have freezers full. I have pantries full. I have money in the bank that I can go and get stuff if I want to. We need to think that through. I won't open it up for you other than just to say, how do you pray that? Why do you pray that? What does it mean to you when you pray that? And maybe one of the things that should go through our hearts and minds as we pray that is that we may be the means through which God answers that prayer for somebody else who is impoverished. So again, where does our wealth come from? The simple answer is our wealth comes from God. But that God distributes it to you and I so that we become those who he created who possess some of the wealth that he has. And so what I want to do for the rest of our morning today is talk about how do we get some of that wealth. And then next week to talk about what are the attitudes that we are to cultivate and what are the attitudes that we are to discard when it comes to wealth and possessions. So the first thing is simply this. How do I obtain wealth and possessions? Again, assuming that God owns everything and God gives us everything that we own, how do I get some of God's stuff? Well, the first thing is ways that we ought not to get some of God's stuff. And these are found in Scripture. We won't spend a lot of them, but I just want to uh, drop them on you so that you understand that God says this is not how you acquire wealth. So one of the obvious ones is through stealing or to defraud others. James chapter 5, which we looked at a number of weeks ago, speaks about getting rich off of the back of others. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. So to get rich by withholding money that is due others because of work they have done for us is not a way that we obtain wealth and possessions. In fact, God uh, unanimously and throughout scriptures decries any kind of fraud. Exodus chapter 20 verse 15 says this to us, you shall not steal. We are not to gain money and possessions by stealing it. And, and that just has massive ramifications. It's not just stealing something physically from a store. 
but we can steal by misusing another's time. We can steal by evasion. We can steal in so many various ways. And so God says one of the ways you are not to acquire wealth and possessions is through theft. In Psalm 37, 21, it says the wicked borrows but does not pay back. That's a form of theft. To borrow something from somebody and then not return it or not pay it back is a form of theft. It is a way of receiving wealth or possessions in a sinful way. We've witnessed, uh, particularly across the states, but looting. As people break into stores and run out with various goods that they've neither worked for or they've certainly not paid for. That is a form of theft. And it is not a way in which we are to acquire anything of God's possessions. So we are not to steal or defraud. A second way, and these are just general categories, but dishonest scales. This covers so much in scripture, but it's not delivering what you have advertised when somebody comes to purchase a product. It's diluting something rather than giving them the, the full um, uh, liquid or the full uh, thing that they have bought from you. It's promising a great deal, but under-delivering. Under Proverbs 20, 23 says, Unequal weights are an abomination to the Lord, and false scales are not good. Proverbs 20, verse 10 says, Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike an abomination to the Lord. So if we get wealthy or we get possessions through dishonest measures or dishonest means, it is an abomination to God. There's another category which I would put in there of greed or unjust gain. And we have a lot of scriptures that we could put in there, but uh, these, are, these are ways in which we, we, we use sinful means again to satisfy our greed or our covetousness. And we get money or, and possessions through unlawful means. And then a final one, which I thought I would throw out only because I think it matters, and I don't know if we talk about it enough, but we're certainly not to use gambling as a way to get wealth and possessions. Gambling, as one put, is an activity in which a person, in hope of winning something of greater value, risks something of value to forces of chance, completely beyond his or her control or rational expectation. See, under a cynical and a seductive guide, guise, we believe that thousands of people will get rich through gambling. And while there is no specific verse in the Bible that says, thou shalt not gamble, there are numerous biblical principles that would say that gambling is not a means through which we hope to acquire wealth and possessions. So those are the negative sides. There's some of them. They're the broad picture principles of how we're not to gain some of God's possessions. But how then are we to? What are some biblical ways in which God says, this is how you will obtain or receive some of my wealth and my possessions? First is simply by working. By working. This is everywhere through the Bible. This is by far the most common means through which you and I receive some of what God owns. I recognize that as I say this, there are some who are unable to work for, for specific reasons and even legitimate reasons, but those do not cancel out by far the general reality that the vast majority of us are to receive goods from God through sheer work. 
Scripture doesn't present work as an option, but rather as an assumption. In Exodus chapter 23, verse 12, Moses speaks to the people as God's voice, and he says, Six days you shall do your work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. This is a creational pattern. And work is a comprehensive term for how you and I in general are to receive wealth and possessions. Six days of work, one day of rest. Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread. But he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Dreamers. Those who fantasize about what they might have or what they might want to do, but never actually put hand to plow. Proverbs 14.23 again says, In all toil there is profit. In work there is profit. But mere talk only leads to poverty. I think even the most cursory examination of life and the world that we live in would lead us to conclude that work is the most basic, comprehensive, general way in which you and I are to accumulate some of what God has. Work is such a part of the fabric of life that Paul the Apostle wrote, for even when we were with you, we would give this command to you. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Coming into a relationship with Christ changes our view of how we acquire his possessions and why we acquire those possessions. Paul says, as he writes to the Ephesian church, let the thief steal no longer, but rather let him labor, doing honest work. It, it implies if there's honest work that there's dishonest work. But he says, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. We'll talk about that in a couple moments. So God intends that you and I work. And through our work, he gives us wealth and possessions. Laziness, on the other hand, is something, again, that the Bible continually looks down on. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. Proverbs 10.5, the son who gathers during the summer is prudent. The son who sleeps during the harvest is disgraceful. You can find numerous other proverbs in the book of Proverbs that talk about the sluggard and talk about laziness. Proverbs 13.4, lazy people want much but get little, but those who work hard will prosper. This is the wisdom of God. In Proverbs, we find even an illustration of nature, which says, okay, if you won't look around you at other human beings, well, look at animal life that God has created. And so in Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, uh, the, the author there says, go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without, without having any chief or officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in the summer and gathers her food in the harvest. We think, go to the ant? Really? Yes. 
Look at nature. Look at how God has created nature and how nature itself provides for itself by working. And by working, I hope we understand ultimately we are working for God. Because he owns everything. He is ultimately the one through which we receive everything that we own and have. And so do your work heartily as unto the Lord. So this is one of the themes that you will find throughout Scripture, that the way we acquire wealth and possessions is through work. The second, believe it or not, is through receiving gifts. Have you ever received something for which you didn't work? Kind of out of the blue, God simply meets your need. He provides for you through some uh, amazing generosity on behalf of somebody else. But God provides simply as a gift. He just gives it to you. That's a legitimate way to receive wealth and possessions. I was reading again of Deuteronomy chapter 8 and uh, reading in Deuteronomy chapter 8 how as the people of Israel coming into a land, he says you're coming into a land with brooks and streams and fountains. You don't have to dig wells. I, I'm just giving you water so that you can water your gardens and water your fields and water your fruit trees. I'm bringing you into a land where there's already wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates. I'm just giving you that as a sort of a head start to life. He says, I'm bringing you into a land where there are olive trees and where there's honey. I'm bringing you to a land where there's iron and copper. I'm just giving you that stuff as a head start to life. Or in the beginning of the book of Joshua, we find that as Joshua is preparing the people to enter into the land of Canaan, Joshua says to them, you're going to move into cities that you didn't build. And you're going to inherit vineyards and orchards which you didn't plant. God simply says, I gave them to you. It's remarkable if we actually sit back and think, how much of what we have has simply been gifted to us? I think not only does God gift us things, but what about an inheritance? How many of you have ever received something from a will of another? You didn't work for it, yet God sent it to you. It's not yours. You don't deserve it. It's not owed to you. And yet God, in his mercy and in grace, puts you on the mind of another, puts you on their mind such they put you in their will. It's an incredible amount of money that is gifted to people around the world any given day. Paul rejoiced in the way that the Philippians believers had sent to him gifts that provided for his need. Paul wrote, I have received full payment and more. I'm well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Sometimes our needs are simply met by the gifts of others. I have seen this in my life again and again in so many different ways. I was thinking about one in particular as I was working uh, through this particular point. Um, a number of years ago when I had uh, three uh, not-so-little boys, they might have been like maybe 8, 10, and 12, um, they had all received fly rods, and uh, they loved fishing, and so we would go fishing all the time. And I somewhere had mentioned uh, that I was going to go uh, fishing with my boys, take them away for a weekend. 
and an individual came up to me, was just talking to me about the trip, and they said, well, are you going to go fishing with them? I said, no, I don't have a rod. Um, my boys have a rod, but uh, we'll have a good time. We've got a canoe, and we'll float around. That was early in the week, and uh, Friday was my last day of work, and I'm sitting in my office, and I tap on a window, and here's Ron. He comes to my office, and he says, uh, you got a minute? I said, yeah. He says, come out to the car with me. I go out to the car, and he says, I was thinking of you, and I thought uh, you could use a fishing rod. And he had bought me a beautiful fly rod. He said, I want you to fish with your boys. It was a gift, a sheer gift of God. I still have that fly rod. And so some of the things that we receive, some of the possessions that we receive, we receive simply from the gifting of God and the gifting of others to us. That is a legitimate way of receiving resources. Third, which ties in with that, is give is by you and I giving it. It almost sounds contrary, does it not? That as you and I give, we will receive back. It, it's not something that floats through our minds very often. But again, this is a truth that I've seen worked out in my life and worked out in the lives of so many others. As I said, it, it appears counterintuitive. But God loves to be generous, and he, he loves to see his children be generous and cultivate generosity in ourselves because generosity reflects the Father's heart. When we are generous, we're saying at least a couple of things. We, we might be saying, I have more than I need. Out of my, my um, extra, I want to provide for your need. Or what we might simply be saying is, I realize that I have what you need and I want to give it to you. True generosity, I believe, comes from grasping and knowing that all that we have has been given to us first. And when we give away our stuff, we're actually giving away God's stuff. It's hard for us to settle that into our hearts and our minds. But if we understand Scripture and if we understand what I've been saying so far, that's true. Everything that we have comes to us from God, and it is ultimately His. And so when we give away our stuff, we're actually giving away God's stuff. And this is why I had Chris read that passage from the book of Luke, where Jesus says, give, and it will be given to you. We, we, do we think like that? Do we, do we think with a generous heart? I know that's not our motive to give, but it's one of the biblical realities behind giving. Give, and it will be given back to you. Now, listen to how Jesus says it will be given back to you. Good measure. Pressed down. You know when you, when you take flour or, or brown sugar, and you, if you just scoop it in a cup, you've got a bit. But if you press it down, you can get like twice as much brown sugar or twice as much flour in that measuring cup. Or when you shake something, how when you shake it, you shake it down and there's more room at the top. And so you fill it and you shake it. Running over will be put back into your lap. And then this amazing word, for the measure which you use will be measured back to you. It's something to be on the losing end of a giving contest with God. You will never win. And it's a principle that is so hard for us to understand, but 
But as we are generous, God gives us more to be generous with. And if we're stingy, it just dries up in our hands. I think it's with the principle that Paul picks up on in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 where he says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. As reading in the book of Proverbs, and we find this affirmed, he says, one person gives freely, yet gains more. It's amazing. Generosity doesn't deplete your stores. Somehow it increases your stores. He says, one person gives freely, yet gains more. Another withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched, and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. And then notice this proverb. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. Or again, whoever gives to the poor will not want, but he who hides his eyes will get many a curse. 2 Corinthians 9.11, yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. It's this amazing cycle. God enriches us, not so we can hang on to it, but that we can be generous. And the more generous we are, the more God enriches us. And it's this, this wonderful circle. And yet it's so hard for us as God's people to understand that reality. And yet it is a scriptural principle of how God gives us wealth and possessions. And it's not just material possessions. I was reflecting on this spiritually. God's generosity to us spiritually. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace. God is not miserly when he pours out his gifts to us, either materially or spiritually. In another place, he says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that by his poverty you might become rich. Have you ever been enriched by the generosity of another? And so we find in the scriptures that we can receive some of God's possessions through work. We receive some of it by sheer gifting as God gifts things to us or as others gift things to us. We also receive wealth and possessions through generosity as we give to others. But a final way is simply ask. Simply ask. Ask God. Don't steal it. Don't defraud. Don't even go without. Simply ask God. If God owns everything, certainly God can give you what you need and sometimes even what you want. 
You know, kids often ask their parents, don't they, hey, mom, can you give me 20 bucks? They ask, and so the mom, sure, I got 20 bucks in my wallet. Here you go. I see 50 in there. Mom, can I have the 50? No, that's the 20. And then sometimes we get a bit older, and we're looking at a car, and we go, hey, Dad, I'm 500 bucks short. Can you give me 500 bucks? Yeah, I didn't know. Yeah, sure, here's 500 bucks. What about asking your heavenly father? Like, do you know there's no limit to what God owns? He owns everything. We've already seen that again and again and again. We ought to have the courage and the confidence and the ability to trust our Heavenly Father to not only know that He knows what we want, but to know that He has the ability to reply or, or to give us whatever we need. Remember James a little while back? You ask, but you receive not, because you ask with the wrong motives that you may spend it on yourself and your own pleasure. So James assumes that asking is okay, it's just we got to get our motives right as we ask for things from our Heavenly Father. As I was thinking of this, I thought of George Mueller. Some of you may be familiar with George Mueller. He was a man that I think God placed on our earth to uh, demonstrate to us that God is able to abundantly supply all our needs according to his riches and glory. George Mueller had hundreds of orphans under his care. He had hundreds of missionaries around the world that he supplied, and never once did he ask people for money or anything, but he always went to God, and God always, always, always provided what he needed. He asked. He asked his heavenly Father, and God provided him what he needed. We're going to spend a little bit of time probably next week talking about Agar from Proverbs chapter 30. And this is what he says as he's praying. Two things I ask of you, God. That you give me neither poverty nor riches. But just what I need. Don't make me so rich that I forget you. And don't make me so poor that I have to beg and steal from others. But give me what I need. And it comes back, does it not, to Matthew chapter 5. Give us this day our daily bread. So as we think then about the ownership of God over everything, which he does, and it is all his, this is how we receive those wealth, that wealth and that stuff that God has. We receive it through working. We receive it through it being gifted to us. We receive it by giving to others or through generosity. And we receive simply by asking. And so as you reflect on these things, and there's a lot to think about. My head's been full as I've been working this through. Some of these things I have been reminded freshly of these. Some of these things I've been um, chastised that I've not been thinking of them correctly. But as we think them through, go back to sort of the basics. Our Father who art in heaven, give me this day my daily needs. No more, no less. Give me today what I need. Or, as I say, the words of Edgar, two things I ask of you, deny them not to me before I die. Remove far from me falsehood and lying. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food that is needful for me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of my God. And then remember the words of Jesus. 
Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. There's that tension between the material and the spiritual. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these material things will be added unto you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your word today. As we continue to dive into the things that you have to say about money and possessions, it's good for us to maybe once again go back and revisit these things. Maybe we haven't thought about them for many, many months or even years. So Father, today in particular, would you help us spend time this week thinking through again this reality that you own everything, but that you also are generous and you disperse that through your sovereign will to the inhabitants of this earth. And would you remind us how it is that we receive some of your possessions? Would you steer us away from illegitimate means of gaining wealth to the ways that you outline in Scripture? We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.